Chapter 4, verse 1. When Ehud was dead, remember he killed Eglon, the heavyset guy, just left the knife in the belly? When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil means they forgot the Lord. doesn't mean, oh, God, where are you? Or who? God, who? It means that they put him aside to go pursue. And that's what happens with a nation that obtain, attains wealth. We go after the wealth instead of God. And, and there's a, it's called the Titler cycle, and I'll go through that later. But this is where they were. They have abandoned and forgotten God. They've put him aside. And as a result, they, they do evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil is just doing the opposite of what God desires you to do and worshiping something other than God. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, which just simply means their economy collapsed and they became a slave to the lender. And they were sold into, into the government of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth, Hagayim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. For Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So he ruled with 900 iron chariots. The children of Israel had no smelting devices. They couldn't make metallurgy. And they were oppressed by a government that had all the guns. And for 20 years, this king, Jabin, oppresses the children of Israel, and they cry out to God. Now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, we don't know anything about Deborah's husband, Lapidoth. We just know his name was judging Israel at the time, a woman judge. She's leading the nation. Fascinating. And she would sit under a palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for, for, for Barak, not Obama, but Barak, <laughs> the son of Abinoam from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the, and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So Barak just says, I, I ain't going unless you're leading, Deborah. And so this is a man that has the giftings to fight, but he needs the backbone of Deborah. Barak said, unless you go, I, I, I will go. And so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now, Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, Hodad, he's a surfer, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zaanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron and all the people who were with him for Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hashereth Hagayim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. They killed them all. But Sisera gets away, and watch this, another, another woman. It's like, uh, uh, what was the name of the 
two ladies that went on a rampage. Thelma and Louise. Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> Verse 17. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. This is, uh, I'm not sure if it's Thelma or Louise. Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear, meaning come into my place. You can hide here and, and come into the tent. And she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk. Wow, that's wonderful. I can't think of anything more quenching than a warm glass of curdled milk. It's actually fermented. It's, it's, it's got uh, sedative properties to it. So she gave him uh, a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground. I'm just seeing it. For he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. He didn't even feel it. Just went, chink, chink, hmm. okay. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So those are two women that opened up a can of whoop. Thelma and Louise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time together. And Lord, as we take a look at Deborah and Jael and Barak and Sisera, Lord, as we take a look at all of these players, I ask God that you would speak to us this Father's Day. I pray, Lord, that you'd inspire us. I pray that you'd minister to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word that causes us to come alive and that we become men and women of faith. Lord, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for the work that you're doing through this little church. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. May all glory go to you. Now, Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Maya Angelou uh, once said, it's important for us to recognize and celebrate our heroes and our sheroes. Heroes, she rose. It didn't even work last service. It was worthless. But in a sense, that's exactly what Deborah and Jael are. They're she rose. And um, fascinating about Deborah, uh, unique in all the Bible, she is not only a prophetess along the lines of Huldah and, and um, along the lines of. of um, Moses's sister and and many others. Philip had two prophetesses as as daughters. Uh, she's she's in a very small group of women that were prophetess. And in addition, she was a judge. Judge means a ruler over the people of Israel. She judged and she judged fairly. She judged under a palm tree, and we saw the location of that. And actually, where we stood uh, in Israel, we had a chance to see that exact location where where Deborah judged the nation of Israel. And in her judging, she was fair. Uh, she sat under a palm tree in between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. People, people came up to her for judgment. 
And uh, being a prophetess and a judge, she was pretty amazing. She was very wise, and uh, she was very gifted. Um, but the nation of Israel had fallen back into their old ways, and, and they, had, they had removed God from the centrality of, of, their, of their society. And as a result, they'd become enslaved to a government that was willing to take from them the freedoms they were willing to yield. And now you have Jabin, who is the king of, of Canaan, and he's got 900 iron chariots, and he's pitting these chariots and these 50,000 men against an army of Israelites. Now, when you say army of Israelites, it's, it's a fascinating way to describe an army because the Israelites had no metallurgy. They were farmers. They weren't warriors. So really what you had is 900 chariots, which represent panzer tanks, uh, 40,000 armed bronze-covered soldiers against uh, 10,000 rake-carrying uh, farmers. And they were going to go out and do rake fighting. And they were ill-equipped and, and out, out, outnumbered substantially. And uh, on, on Mount Tabor, uh, Deborah says to Barak, listen, you need to gather these two tribes and, and have all the soldiers gather, the 10,000 soldiers on Mount Tabor. Now, as you stand on Mount Carmel, and we began our journey when we were in Israel on Mount Carmel, you look out through the Jezreel Valley, it was what uh, Napoleon said, and this is where Megiddo would be, Armageddon. This would be the final battle, and you see this in Revelation. They say the blood will be as high as the bridle of a horse. It's a powerful picture as you look out over, out of, uh, over the Jezreel Valley, and, and you, you picture this Megiddo. And you can see forces moving just in your mind because it is, it, it's, it's a panoramic view that is fascinating. And from Mount Carmel, you can see Mount Tabor. It's a rounded mountain. And, and you see all the different locations. And you get this, this sighting. And, and there on Mount Tabor were the 10,000 troops under Barak, but only if Deborah would go along with him. And so what happened with the 10,000 troops, it drew Sisera with his 900 chariots, these, these tanks to come in, in, into, into the valley. Now, chariots are worthless going up a hill, so they're drawing the forces down into the valley. And so Sisera brings in his nine, 900 chariots and, and these 40,000 troops, and they're amassing in the, in the Jezreel Valley. And all of a sudden, you see up here Barak, with his 10,000 farmers, and they have to come into the valley to contend with them. And they're going to get annihilated, absolutely annihilated. I don't know if you've ever saw 1939 when, when um, Hitler took over the Sudetenland and then went into Poland on a blitzkrieg, and you saw pictures of Polish cavalry officers charging panzer tanks, and they were eviscerated, they were annihilated. This would be the picture. The minute that these farmers march into the Jezreel Valley against these chariots, they would be wiped out. Each chariot had two archers and then a, a horseman, and they would just run circles around you. And there was, you know, um, uh, blades that would come out from the wheels of the chariot that would cut down any soldiers in their path. The horses would trample them. It, they, they would be destroyed. And so they're outnumbered. But God had given them a number of promises that he would fight on their behalf. And these 900 chariots, fascinatingly enough, Israel had no armament. They had no ability to contend. And, and uh, Jabin, the king of Canaan, had oppressed the children of Israel uh, harshly for 20 years. And, and the way he did that, the way he suppressed them, is because he had the military might. 
So what do we do when we're attacked by an enemy who screams Alu Akbar, guns down, kills over 50 people in a nightclub and wounds another 50? What do we do as a nation? Instead of protecting our citizenry, we take away guns from law-abiding citizens. You see, in Israel, you carry there, and that's why there wasn't a massacre. That person was down within two minutes. Here in the United States, we have the Second Amendment to protect the First Amendment. And a government that takes away the citizens' ability to protect their well-being is a nation that's going to oppress those people. And then they can dictate to you what they want to do, and they're going to remove God from the equation. Listen, if you have a nation that honors God and, and people go to church, and you, you're accountable before the Lord, you're accountable before each other, laws, and that's what happens with a revival. They had the largest numbers of bankruptcies in, in, in Wales when the revival occurred because all the bars shut down. Barbershop quartets started because police officers had nothing to do, and so they started singing in churches. They had to retrain the pack animals in the mines because the, the animals only operated when people would cuss at them, and they had to retrain them how to operate with words that didn't have expletives. This is what happens to a culture when the Lord is the center of, of a nation. And you remove God from the equation, and a nation starts to rely on a government, and that government, their sole purpose is to oppress people so that you do their bidding and you become a slave to the, the, the government. The larger the government, the smaller the citizen. And, and now they've got 900 chariots to oppress the children of Israel, and they've been doing it for 20 years. And, and we think, well, we're not oppressed. Eh, yes, we are. We've watched a number of our, our liberties and, and what, what's happening with SB 1146, unprecedented in the 108-year history of Biola. And every Christian uh, university and college in this state is, is going to be, their First Amendment rights are going to be massively violated. And, and we just stand around silent. Um, a, a very outspoken, or a major pastor in the Calvary Chapel group of churches, his response to SB 1146 was, well, you do what seems best for you. There was no rallying. There was no attempt to try to stand in a, a defense of it or an opposition to it. it, it the, the church just rolls over because as long as I can still have my pulpit, I'm okay. And okay, so we're going to lose Biola, but I can still preach. Well, if you think about what happened in Nazi Germany, it was there that you you had Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller, and there they were sitting before Hitler himself, the chancellor, and Hitler said to all of the, the German pastors, and he said, listen, uh, I am going to take care of your pensions. I'm going to make sure that your churches are resplendent. I'm going to take care of all of you. At which point uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer stands and he says, uh, Chancellor, um, I, I'm not so concerned with the, my church or my pension. I'm concerned with the soul of Germany, at which point Hitler then said, leave the soul of Germany to me. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was marked from that very moment, and one of the last edicts of, of, of Hitler was to hang Dietrich Bonhoeffer before he ended up uh, committing suicide with Eva Braun in the bunker. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung. And, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually stood in opposition to Hitler to the point where he even attempted to assassinate him. Somebody going, a pastor willing to assassinate. You take that up with the Lord. But if that meant that, that a million Jews wouldn't have to be incinerated because you take out one man, that's called war. If, if you, listen, if one of you tries to come and kill me and you're insane and you scream Alu Akbar, I can tell you right now there's seven to ten folks in this room, you're going to look like Swiss cheese. And, and they're going to be within their realm of authority. And I'm going to be going, praise God, brother, sister. There's a couple sisters in here. 
They have a Glock for the flock. And, and here, this oppression with 900 chariots is, is for 20 years, the children of Israel have been under the boot of, of Jabin, the king of Canaan. Well, what happens is she sends and calls for Barak, the son of Abinoam, and he's supposed to lead, but he's got no backbone. And Deborah says, look, I'm the judge of Israel. You're the one we're calling on. You've got to lead. And Barak says, I don't know. I mean, Deborah, if you go with me, I'll go. And I would just say this to some of the women in the church that have a heart to want to see your husband lead. Don't, don't, just encourage him. Say, I'll go with you. How, what can I do to have you lead? Don't lead for him. Let him, and she still let Barak lead. She understood she was a wise woman and she sets this up so that he would handle these armies and she goes out with him uh, to Mount Tabor and they take on this fight. Now the River Kishon, interestingly enough, the River Kishon, uh, when we were there, it's a small brook, but at times the banks have been so wide that you can bring you can bring sailing ships, trading ships, all the way up the Kishon River from the Mediterranean where, where they can do trading. And the Kishon River can overflow and that's why the Jezreel Valley is so verdant. And, and this, this Kishon River at the time, we're going to see in the poem in, in, in Judges chapter 5 what occurs and why they won this battle. Uh, but before I do that, I want to just cover one more thing, and that's with Jael, uh, the woman who put the tent, sp- tent stake through um, Sisera's head. Uh, and and I, I like what one author said. He says, I, I, I have found it important, and I've noted it, that this is something I take to heart. I will never go into a tent with a woman who has a mallet and a tent peg and, and um, curdled milk. And I think that's good advice for all of us to take. I don't, honestly, I don't think Michelle's ever possessed any of those three. And, and Jael, uh, she puts him to death. And here, they had a, they had a, her husband was in cahoots with Sisera and Jabin, king of Canaan. He was a Kenite. But, but Jael... She, she served the Lord. She praises the Lord. And, and she sees that this is an enemy of God's people. And she steps out at, at great expense to herself. And you see her do this. And as a result of all that occurred, they end up winning the battle, vanquishing all of, of the Canaanites and destroying them and even killing Sisera and wiping them all out. And it gives us a greater insight when we look at this because we find out how they won only in Deborah's poem. And this is a psalm, a song that she wrote. And it's the oldest psalm we have in the scriptures, I believe. So turn with me to chapter 5. Chapter 5, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, and the day that they had the victory. And this is what she sang. She said, when leaders in Israel... Uh, when leaders lead in Israel and when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Stop for a moment. That's a great one to look at. It's verse 2. When leaders lead in Israel and when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. It's amazing what a handful of people willing to be used of God can accomplish. And you got Thelma and Louise, and they, they, they changed the nation. I don't know if that's a good an illustration. But, but you have Deborah and Jael, and these two women step forward. A little church like ours has had an, a profound effect across the country and is inspiring a number of other churches to do the same. And I would say in our own community alone, I would look, and one of the reasons why we're going through judges is so that you can find yourself in one of these characters and say, that's me, and I see my role. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to blow sunshine your way. 
There's work to be done. And, and, and here, she, she clearly describes the reason why there was a victory. And I want to ask you, do you want to see things change? It begins with this. When the people willingly offer themselves. Are you content with the little morsel? And if they take half of that away, are you still content? And they take half of that half away? How long will you just be holding on to your little scrap? 10,000 Jews were guarded by one Nazi guard and they marched them to the gas chambers 10,000 or excuse me 1,000 to one guard and they were told Arbic mock fry work will set you free they bought it hook line and sinker and how long are we going to put up with it how long are we going to dismiss it how long are we going to be apathetic and sit by the sidelines and say someone else will do it When the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord, the people, we the people, when we offer ourselves for God's glory, we the people, when the leaders lead in Israel, dads, you've been given the call to lead. Maybe you struggle and you need a Deborah in your life and and wives, encourage your husband. And the times in my life where I was struggling, wondering where I'm supposed to go in the weakest part, and I remember we were dirt poor, we had no money, and I I just felt like I was a terrible provider, and and Michelle would be the greatest encouragement to me when she could have cut my legs out from underneath me. She just kept blowing sunshine my way. I felt bigger than life. I was a hero in her eyes. That's what a Deborah does to a Barack. He's got a calling, he just doesn't know, and he's paralyzed with a little bit of fear. Encourage him. Tell him the kids will be fine, we'll be fine. Let's do this. Quit worrying about our little morsel. Quit worrying about the pittance that we're living on and start to make a difference for the children in our home and the grandchildren to come. Verse three, she writes, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir and when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured and the clouds also poured water. And we find from Josephus that when, when Sisera and the 900 chariots and the 40,000 troops came out because they had been, you know, tricked into coming out because of the 10,000 farmers up on, on Mount Tabor, they all come out into the Valley of Jezreel and God opens up the heavens and the Kishon river begins to overflow. And Josephus said it began to hail. He said it was such a wicked storm that they couldn't even ride the chariots. They were confused. Hailstones were hitting them. The archers couldn't fire. They were all discombobulated, discomfited. They didn't know what to do. And, and at that moment, when all this started to happen and the earth trembled, there was an earthquake and the heavens poured and the clouds poured out water. God's just saying, I got this. It's fascinating. You say, well, that wouldn't happen. You know, the panzer tanks were far better than anything that all of Russia had. And, and, and these panzer tanks were just mowing over the Russians. And it, it wasn't the panzer tanks that, it, it, it wasn't the Russians that stopped the panzer tanks. What stopped the panzer tanks was the weather. And, and it got so cold and muddy that they couldn't operate. And that's what gave the Russians the ability to push back the Germans. Same picture here. Verse 5, the mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased and it ceased in Israel. It was so bad in Israel because of the oppressive government and all that was going on under the Canaanite rule, under Jabel. 
that it wasn't safe to go outside. I grew up in California. I would stay out. I, I remember being in the sixth grade, staying out till two o'clock in the morning. I, I wasn't a very good kid, but 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 uh, under the government of Jabin, they had oppressed everything, and and there was no morality. Nobody looked out for their neighbors. Everybody was under the oppression of, of Jabin, the king of Canaan, and they were struggling. And you look, one of the greatest nations in the Western Hemisphere, excuse me, one of the greatest cities in the Western Hemisphere that was, was the, the beacon of free enterprise, and it was responsible for winning World War II, was Detroit, Michigan. The wealth that was amassed in Detroit, Michigan, and, and what was created there, and the wealth that was created by people just working hard. And you go through Detroit today because government has taken over Detroit. Everyone's on a pension. The government has just wiped out the ability to create wealth, taken all liberties and freedoms, and the government has oppressed everyone there. You go through Detroit today, it is a ghost town. It's a ghost town. It's wiped out. People move. And you want to talk about crime. You can't walk the streets. And this is exactly what Deborah's saying. The highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, and it ceased in Israel. You couldn't even live as a community in those towns. Somebody was going to go steal the copper from your wiring. Somebody was going to go steal some. You couldn't even put bars and gates and all these other things. You couldn't do it. And village life ceased in Israel. Until I, Deborah, look at this, until I, Deborah, arose arose a mother in israel you know she is she's a mom and she just says this isn't a safe place for my family anymore if if no one's going to do something i'll do it i'll do it let those words echo in your head i'll do it here my lord use me i'll do it oh You're not discontented enough. Village life is still good. All right. I'll do it when village life ceases. And ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. And then she says in the poem, I'm almost finished. They chose new gods. And there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 Israel. Nobody in Israel had any armament. Where do we begin? We don't even have any swords. We don't have anything. They've taken it all from us. You know what's amazing? Here in America, we don't even have to use a sword. We can change at the ballot box. But in this last election, the Christian turnout was pathetic. Pathetic. I don't understand. I, have, I'm, I can't fathom it. The pulpits are silent. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Can't our leaders willingly offer themselves? Can't we begin to start to defend the First Amendment? Can't we get people to be educated and know these things when we offer ourselves willingly to the Lord to set the captives free? Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles, and the Lord came down from me against the mighty.
They fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march on in strength. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave him curdled milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer, and pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. That's kind of a poem. I think that's a refrain. There he fell dead. Thus, let, uh, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength so the land had rest. For 40 years. The land had rest for 40 years. I'm limited in time, so I'm going to close with a couple of applications. I wanted to share with you a little bit about Margaret Thatcher, but I'm going to bypass. I, I think of her as a modern day Deborah. You can read about her, the Iron Lady. But I'll close with this Charles Spurgeon looked at Jael and looked at Deborah, and he came to a really neat conclusion. And I, I can't come up with anything better, so I'm going to share with you his. Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon preached a wonderful sermon on this passage, and he called it Sin Slain, on how we can take Sisera as a type of sin and his master Jabin as a type of Satan. So Jabin, king of, the, of Canaan, is, is Satan. Sisera is one of his demons. He insisted that we should not be content to merely defeat sin as Barak defeated Sisera in battle. We should not rest until sin is dead. And just as Jael asked Barak to look at the dead body of Sisera, Spurgeon said we should look at sin slain by the work of Jesus, knowing he has already won the battle. If you are content merely to conquer your sins and not to kill them, you may depend on it. It is not it is the mere work of morality, a surface work, and not the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain, and I'll close with this. The Bible says that we're dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. To will and to do of his good pleasure. We died to ourselves. When we did the baptisms in the Jordan, I would say, dead to yourself, under the water, and alive to Christ forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. Men and women governed by God to honor him and to put away the things that kill them. But we still keep them alive in our Christian walk. And we think that if we can dress ourselves up and, and operate our Christian walk, not seeing ourselves and our identity as dead to ourselves and alive to Christ and honoring the Lord and operating in the context of the Holy Spirit, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Instead, we look at the church as a place where we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do, and we're all moral people. And we try to operate in a context where we find ourselves a little bit more morally superior than others. That doesn't work. We want to look at the church as the moral majority I always struggled with that term. They did great work, but I struggled with it. The moral majority. We want to amass ourselves as though we're somehow going to create a theocracy in America. I struggle with that. You know what I'd really like to just see? Men and women live for God. Willingly offer themselves to Christ and make a difference in their community. Allow that to work itself out. It was said... 
that all that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good, Edmund Burke said this, is for good men and women to do nothing. I look at it differently. All that's necessary for evil to triumph is for moral men and women to do nothing. Morality isn't salvation. You may be a good person. Morality is not salvation. You see, morality is not doing what is wrong. And I would venture to guess that this room is filled with moral men and women. You don't do what's wrong. If you do, it's the exception, not the rule. Yes? I guess I guessed wrong. I got to redo this sermon. I would venture to guess with certainty that this is a moral room. Okay. Morality is not doing what's wrong. Right? Character is doing what is right. And all that's necessary for evil to continue in our country is for moral men and women to do nothing. You want to make a difference? You want to have character? Offer yourselves willingly to face the Jabins and the Sisras of the world. It'll come at a great cost. But how bad does it have to get before we want to have character? How bad? Because God is ready to work now. Well, I have children to raise. So did Deborah. Well, I, I just really don't. I, I just, I don't feel like I can even leave my home. Your wife will help you. Get up, man. Go. Wives, encourage them. Men, lead. The world needs Barak's. The world needs uh, Deborah's and Jael's. It's time to move. This is a picture for all of us because these are perilous times. And this isn't a game. I, I really am not interested in entertaining people on their way to hell. I, I'm not the captain of the love boat. I, I, I don't mind being part of a, of a, of a, of a battleship. But, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm not Captain Steubing of the love boat. And so I would say today, Father's Day, we're going to learn from a mother how to lead. And we're going to do it right. May God inspire you in his word and empower you by his spirit that we would bring glory to his name. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the example of Deborah and Jael and for Brock. And so, Lord, we ask that you would empower your people by your spirit, that, Lord, we would seek to honor you and offer ourselves, as Deborah sang of, that we would offer ourselves willingly so that our communities could be returned to a freedom-loving people, no longer oppressed by the Jabins and the Siseras of the world, oppressed by the 900 chariots and the highly armored military. But one, one person in God constitutes a majority. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd inspire us. Lord, we're inspired by a father's love. 
that we would celebrate Father's Day. We would recognize that. But how great, as we would sing in a moment, the Father's love for us. And by your Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, we can provide a safe village for our families. Let us lead, Lord, that we would honor you as we willingly offer ourselves afresh to you, God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.